morning, Sovereign Grace. It's so great to see so many of you, and it's nice to be back at Frontier. If you don't know me, my name is Russell Horner. I'm one of the pastors here at the church, and it's my privilege to be able to preach the gospel this morning from the book of Psalms. Let's turn to Psalm 119, verses 89 to 96. We are now on the 12th stanza, which is just about a little over halfway through this incredible psalm. As you can see, it's the Lamed stanza, and just by way of review, remember, the Lamed is the first letter of each line, each verse. It's an alphabetic acrostic. We can't see that in the English, but in the Hebrew, it's set up that way. So it can be memorized. It's that important to meditate on the word. And this stanza is very unique in that it is a turning point in the psalm. After three weeks of David talking about his afflictions, he returns to really focusing on the word of God and what the word of God is. He's going to teach us a lot through it. So let's read God's word together. Psalm 119, verse 89 to 96. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. You have established the earth, and it stands fast. By your appointment, they stand this day, for all things are your servants. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me, but I consider your testimonies. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. Let me pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we're so thankful that even though you are glorious, we have no right to be in your presence to commune with you in any way. You have graciously condescended to give us your word, to give us hope and peace so that we might know you and be changed into your son's likeness. Father, as we draw near to you through your word this morning, draw near to us, minister to us, help us find great peace and security in your son so that we might persevere to the end and might glorify you for all of eternity. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. I wonder if you've ever heard this saying before. There is no such thing as a sure thing. You ever heard that before? I feel like I've been hearing that a lot these days in, in many different circumstances. Probably the place that I hear it the most is actually in foster care, and for good reason. If you don't know, my family and I have been doing foster care for some time now, for quite a bit of years, and we're so thankful we, we did it. We're so thankful for what God has brought through it. Our son Finn has been adopted, and I'm so thankful, even as I look out now and see some of your faces that are involved in foster care and adoption who have brought kids into your family, God has done tremendous things through the foster care system in our town. But I have to say that it is by far one of the most broken systems I have ever seen. The foster care system actually normalizes uncertainty and insecurity in these kids, and it's so sad to see. We have friends who fostered a girl for years, a little girl for years, and just one week, one week before her adoption, the adoption fell through, and she had to move to another family. Imagine what that does to a child who's already been traumatized once by being pulled from her biological family because of some difficulty. Imagine as a parent not being able to promise your kids or make plans with your kids to say, look, I'll be with you next week or next year. Or tell them, I'll always be around to protect you and care for you because in their minds, they think parents just leave. 
Imagine the difficulty of trying to sort that out with children. And imagine being able to go on a trip, having to rehearse with your kids and say, these are all the people that are going with us, and these are all the people coming back. Because you want to make sure your kids know because you don't want them to get sick and throw up in the car because they think they're moving. Or desperately search for landmarks along the way to make sure they can find their way back home. We've actually had kids do every single one of those things. It's so sad to see the trauma that insecurity and uncertainty brings. These kids are so desperate for permanence and so desperate for a home and stability, a place they can call their own because the system really teaches them there's no such thing as a sure thing. But you know you don't have to be in foster care to learn that lesson, do you? Seriously, all you have to do is pay attention. (laughs) Pay attention in this fallen world, especially over this last year. I mean, just imagine how many things of this last year, sure things, things we thought were certain have just crumbled before our eyes. I mean, if your hope was in modern medicine to fix every problem, it has crumbled before us. One little bitty virus brought the entire world to its knees. It's changed our economy. It's changed our government. It's changed our education systems. It's even literally changed some of our neighbors and where they live. For this church, it's changed where we meet Many of us, it's changed our relationship with family members and friends. And sadly, even as a society, I feel like it's changed the way we view people we don't know. We see them as threats, carrying a virus that could kill us, rather than people made in God's image worthy of dignity and respect who need the gospel just as much as we do. If we're honest, in this last year, it's hard to point to something that hasn't changed. I would imagine most of us are feeling that insecurity, that uncertainty that even my foster kids have had. Maybe some of you have had that 10-year plan, that 20-year plan. Look, this is where we're going to live. This is what my marriage will look like. This is what my family will look like in 10 to 20 years. This is what my nation will look like in 10 to 20 years. And by God's grace, COVID has just turned that upside down. We don't know what the next 10 minutes holds, let alone 10 years. And it's always been that way, by the way. We're just made aware of it graciously by God through COVID. Or maybe you're the type of person who didn't need COVID to feel unsettled, uncertain, insecure. Maybe the stanza last week that Jason went over, the dark night of the soul, spoke powerfully to you because you've been laboring under the dark night of the soul for a while. Health problems, financial troubles, relational troubles, marital troubles have brought you to your knees long before COVID even was a thing. And you just live in this constant state of disorientation feeling lost at sea, just overwhelmed by the affliction. You're so desperate for something solid, for something that will not change. Well, where do we find that stability and that certainty in a fallen world like ours? How do we find hope and direction when the world is literally falling apart around us? Well, David reveals the only thing we can depend on in this stanza, and that is God's all-sufficient and immutable word. That's our hope. That is our only peace in this world, that God's word is sufficient for everything that comes our way. And it's immutable. It's unchangeable. It's never going to disappoint us. And David wants to point us to that this morning. No matter where we are and how uncertain we feel, we need that stable hope. So I want to talk about that under two headings this morning. I want to talk about what the word is and what the word does. So I want to focus on really a fixed word, that's the first one, a fixed word in verses 89 through 91. That's what the word is. And then we'll talk about what the word does to us. It makes us secure saints. So a fixed word and then secure saints. Those are the two things we'll focus on this morning. 
So let's look at the fixed word in verse 89. The fixed word. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. Now you notice forever begins a sentence. It's front-loaded for a reason. It actually describes two parts in this verse. It's hard to tell in the English because the translation's a little bit different. But first and foremost, the forever describes God. Forever, O Lord. A lot of the Hebrew commentators actually believe that what should happen here, the translation should be, forever is the Lord. Then your word is firmly fixed. It's so important we start here. If we're going to talk about stability in any way, we have to start with the source, don't we? We have to start with God, who is the only eternal, immutable, never-changing being in the entire universe. Everything else, by definition, is finite. Creation. It's not eternal like he is eternal. He is the one rock upon which everything was built. That's why Paul can say in Romans eleven thirty six, for from him and through him and to him are all things. He alone is forever, dependable, reliable, stable for all of eternity. Stability doesn't exist alongside of God, apart from God. It doesn't exist by looking within. It doesn't exist by looking without. It exists in God alone. He is forever. But forever is not just describing God. The ESV translators really focus on this. Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed. So God's word is also forever, eternal, unchanging. That should make sense to us because David does something very important that we kind of lose track of sometimes. David never separates God from his word. If something is true about God, if God is good, if God is forever, then God's word is forever. God's word is always good. If God will never let us down, then his word will never let us down. And that's why he goes on to say that it's firmly fixed. Do you see that in verse 89? Firmly fixed. It's stable. It's settled, planted, rooted in. It's not going anywhere. Just as stable as God himself. But then David does something interesting. He doesn't just say it's firmly fixed, period. He actually talks about where it's fixed. Look at verse 89. Your word is firmly fixed in the heavens. What does that mean? Well, you have to think of heavens here as kind of the pinnacle of creation, this highest and most glorious place, the crown jewel of all creation, the place that's untouched by sin, untouched by the fall, the place of holiness and perfection and glory, our eternal home, that great celestial city. And what makes that place so great? It's that God's word is fixed there. God's word rules there. Amazingly, it's actually God's words that fixed the heavens, literally. God spoke the heavens into place. He created them by his word. But it's not just that his word is fixed there to begin with. It stays fixed. It rules over. It directs the heavens. It's the law of the best place in the universe. It's the final ultimate authority, the supreme authority. Sin can't touch it. It can't diminish it. It can't change it in any way. God's word rules in the heavens. There's no higher place. There's no higher authority, no higher court to appeal to. God's word is fixed in the heavens. On the one hand, that sounds like great news. Because no matter what happens to me, when no matter what happens in our lives, no matter what happens with sin in this world and how corrupt this world gets, it can't touch God's word. It's out of touch of the fall. 
But on the other hand, that kind of sounds horrible because I'm not home yet. (laughs) I live in a world where it feels like sin rules, where like Satan has the upper hand a lot of the times. And so it feels like, well, it's fixed in the heavens, but I'm not there. It might be really good, but I don't get to experience that until the end. What I desperately need, what we all desperately need is for God's words that is fixed in the heavens to come down to us. And that's exactly what happened, isn't it? In fact, look at the next verse. David describes how that's happened. Verse 90. Your faithfulness endures to all generations. I bet you were probably expecting your word. I was. Your word endures, right? Your word is fixed. Your word is forever. So it makes sense. Your word endures to all generations. David doesn't go there. Because remember, David never separates God from his word. And so when he talks about faithfulness, he's still talking about stability. He's still talking about the fixed word. But now it's describing God and his word. God, you have faithfully brought your word to generation after generation. You have faithfully taken that fixed word and brought it down to your people. He's talking about special revelation here. The fact that God has always condescended to covenant with and to speak to and relate to even sinful people like us. Isn't that incredible news? Generation after generation, not one generation, not one generation of God's people has ever been left in the dark. Not one. He has drawn near to speak to them verbally. He has written on tablets. He's even spoken through his prophets to give us his written word. So not one generation has to wonder, what does God want from me? Who is God really? We have always had God's word among his people, and that is evidence of how fixed and eternal God's word is. That God would persevere his word even through sinful people. And I'm telling you, when I read the Old Testament accounts, there are many times where I think this is over. We're not getting past Jacob or or Samson. There's no way. You read these stories and think, oh, there's no way God can overcome this. And he does. His people continue. His word continues. And that's an evidence, generation to generation, of God's steadfastness. And God's fixed word. But it doesn't just happen in special revelation to his people. It actually happens even in general revelation, which is what we can know about God by looking at the world around us. Look at the end of verse 90. It says this, You have established the earth, and it stands fast. It's fixed. It's solid. Verse 91, By your appointment, by your word, now pay attention to this, they, they. Wait a minute. He was talking about the world, the earth. What's this they business? Why is this plural? Why are there two things or more involved here? Well, David's going all the way back to verse 89 and bringing the heavens back into this picture. So he's saying they, the heavens, and the earth stand to this day. And then he repeats himself, elaborates it, just to make sure you get it, for all things. Heaven and earth are your servants. Just stop and think about that for a second. That is a profound statement about God and his creation. Everything, everything in this creation serves him. The stars serve him. The planets, the galaxies serve him. Cancer serves him. COVID serves him. Natural disasters serve God. That's why Jesus can even say in Matthew 5, 45, for he, God, makes his son rise on the evil and the good. He sends his reign on the just and the unjust. It's his. It belongs to him. It does his bidding. Even the sun and the rain serve God. What might be even more amazing is that not just the things in this world serve God, but the beings, the people 
course, his people serve God, but even evil people serve God. Evil nations serve God. It's astonishing to me every time I read the book of Isaiah and the way that God talks about the pagan nations, the nations that hate him. In Isaiah 7, it literally says that God whistles. God whistles, and the nation does what he says. (laughs) Think about that for a second. God whistles, and it's like, cue the Assyrians. Time for judgment. That's how sovereign God is. That's how faithful and fixed his word is. And what might be even more amazing is that God is, is still in charge of even demons and Satan himself is God's servant in a way. Isn't that the shocker of the book of Job? That even Satan has to ask God permission to do anything. Well, we still see sinful people rebel against God foolishly. But in the end, even when we sinfully rebel against God, it still serves his purposes. His word is fixed. It never fails. But why is David here comparing God's word to creation? What's this comparison all about? Well, David is trying to draw out the fixed nature of creation is a reflection of how fixed God's word is. We get this, don't we? I mean, think about the biggest mountains you've ever seen. When you look out over the ocean or you look at the stars, you, you see the Grand Canyon. Does it ever cross your mind when you're looking at those things to think, I'm sure glad I'm here because I don't know how long this is going to stick around. I'm sure, I'm sure glad I came because you know what? Eventually this is going to go away. It never even crosses our mind, does it? We look at these things and we think there is no way this is going anywhere. In fact, the opposite's usually true for us, isn't it? We usually think, I better come back here because this thing's going to outlast me. I better come back here before I'm gone. There's so many things in this world that are far more stable than even us. And David is saying those fixed things, those things that seem so permanent in our world, that's like God's word. God's word isn't going anywhere. Maybe some of you are thinking, well, wait a minute, hold on. I get the Grand Canyon's not going anywhere in a lot of ways, but isn't there still decay? And we started with how unstable and uncertain this world is. We see nations rise up and fall in no time. Leaders change and so many things change. People get sick and die daily. Depravity seems to be growing and, and developing. So doesn't that kind of defeat David's argument? When I look on the world, I don't see stability. I see decay. I see depravity. Every time I lock my door, I have to put another password in. I think depravity. That's our world. So what's David trying to say here? David's saying, look, you know how you just assume certain things are stable? Like the Grand Canyon and all this? You just assume that these things are going to be around? That's just a shadow of how stable God's word is. In fact, there's a whole set of scriptures that talk about God's word being far more stable than even creation itself, isn't it? Isaiah 40, verse 7. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. There's no expiration date on the word of God. Jesus says in Matthew 24, 35, heaven and earth, all creation essentially, will pass away. But my words, God's words, will never pass away. See, David's point is that the stability, any kind of certainty in this world, is just a picture, just a shadow of how stable God's word is. And even though that's true, and we might know that intellectually, where do we go when we're unsettled? Do we run to God's fixed, inerrant, faithful word? Or do we run to our circumstances for comfort? Do we check our bank accounts? Do we look at the stock market? Double check our security systems, our health plans, just to make sure that we have enough backed up when our backups are backed up so that we're ready for the storm? 
Or do we look inward? Do we focus on our emotions and, and stabilizing ourselves just to think, well, if I just thought rightly about this, if I have enough self-esteem or confidence, I can weather this. Or if I have the right training or the, or the right medication, I can just figure this out on my own. When all along we have something far more stable than our emotions and our circumstances, than our bank accounts or our health plans on our 401ks. And we run to God's word usually as the last resort, don't we? Amazingly, we have far more evidence of the fixed nature of God's word than even David had. Because we live on the other side of the cross. God's word has been proven faithful in his son. The word of God that was with God in the beginning became flesh to dwell among us, John 1 says. He lived the life that we failed to live he, the fixed word of heaven, came down to this earth after generation of generation pointing to him to die on a cross for our sins, to bear God's wrath in our place, to raise from the dead, to give us victory over death, our biggest enemy, the thing that unstabilizes us the most, to help us be reconciled to God by faith. Jesus did that. Jesus gave us a rock to depend on, a rock in the middle of a storm. He is unchangeable. He is forever. He is dependable. He is God's fixed and eternal word. You want a sure thing? Look to him. It doesn't get any better. Well, David's talked about a fixed word. That's what God's word is. Now he moves on in the next part of the psalm to talk about what God's word does to us. It actually ministers to us and makes us secure saints. Let's read 92 and 93 together. They have a parallel image I want to draw out. 92. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have given me life. You probably notice David's tone shifts very dramatically here. From God's fixed word to how God's word ministered to him how it changed his life, how God's fixed word made him a secure saint. And the first image that he throws out to picture this security is that God's word saved him. Did you see that? Look at the end of verse 92. I would have perished in my affliction. God's word kept me from perishing. It kept my faith alive. In verse 93, for by them you have given me life. You've revived me. Your word saved me. David's saying, in this world that is falling apart with death and decay all around us, I was dying too. I was going the way of the world. I was lost. I would have wandered off. But God's word saved me. It brought me life. It wasn't just my crutch. Right? We get that. You've heard people say maybe that Christianity is just a crutch for weak people. You know what David would say to that? Oh, you don't know the half of it. I wasn't limping along in my afflictions. I was drowning. I was a goner. I was dead. Your word isn't a crutch. It's more like CPR. It brought me back to life. It revived me. Now, how did it actually happen for David? Look again at verse 92. If your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished. He delighted in God's law. It was his love. So much so that he could say in 93, I will never forget your precepts. Now, the translation here, the English translation is a shame because the first word should be forever, just like verse 89. It should say forever, I will never forget your precepts. David's going all the way back to verse 89 and saying, you remember how fixed God's word is? In heavens, it's fixed in heavens? Well, I will forever fix my delight on your word because you saved me through it. You've revived me. 
And look, I know myself. I know how weak I am. Without your word, without delight in your word, I'm a goner. Death is coming. Oh, you young saints need to hear this. Old saints do too. We all need to hear this. But young saints particularly, please, don't hang around just with other people your age. Old people too. Don't hang around with just old people to complain about young people. Okay, don't do it. We desperately need to interact with each other to get this. Old saints, babysit for these young couples. Help them out. Get into their lives where you can say, look, don't put your delight in that. Don't don't ground everything on that worldly thing. It'll crumble, trust me. I've seen it in my own life. Or while they're in the affliction and they're just overwhelmed, we need an old saint to tell us, I know this seems overwhelming. I know it seems like it'll never end, but trust me, it is light and momentary compared to the eternal weight of glory to come. We desperately need to remind ourselves to delight in God's word. Because what David is saying here is that there's a strength, there's a firmness, a security when we delight in God's word. And conversely, the opposite's true as well, isn't it? There's a weakness and a frailty and a vulnerability when we don't delight in God's word. When we choose not to do the hard work to remember it. I think this is where a lot of us get into so much trouble. What's your greatest delight in this world? Where do you find the most hope? Is it in God's word or is it in something in this world? Because look, if we delight in God's word, our lives will look so different than most people around us. We'll run to God's word, whether in good times or in bad. We'll trust in it. We won't constantly need to be reminded to read your Bibles. Go to church on Sunday. Go to grace group because we know how desperately we need to delight in God's word together. We won't try to squeeze God's word into our busy life. We'll reorient our whole life around receiving God's word. Because look, whatever you structure your life around is what you delight in the most. Is it God's word? Or are you just building your castle on the sand? And when it crumbles, you'll crumble with it. God's word alone is fixed and stable and dependable because it points us to the incarnate word, Jesus, who came not to abolish the law but to fulfill it who is tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, including the temptation to delight in this world and not in God's word. He did that perfectly in our place so that we can be forgiven by any judgment of our lack of delight and so that we can repentantly, relentlessly run to God's word to find our stability in Jesus, to delight in him. That's what saves us. But God's word doesn't just save us. It actually does more than that. It gives us more security than that. It sustains us. That's what verse 94 is talking about. Look at 94 with me. For I am yours. Save me, for I have sought your precepts. I think we have to be careful here because many of us might look at that and think, well, wait a minute. Is that workspace salvation? Save me because I've kept your precepts. I've been a good boy. I've done what you asked. Save me. But we can't forget the foundation of this verse. And it's in those first three words, isn't it? I am yours. David's pleading from the salvation he already has. The life that he's already been giving. The preservation that God's already done in his life. He's saying, my delight in your word, my steadfastness, the very reason I remember it, the very reason that I seek it at all, as this verse says, is because you're at work in me. I am yours, and because I'm yours, I'm your responsibility. I'm yours. Save me. It's like a a child calling out to their parents to save them. We don't see any arrogance in that. 
wouldn't see any works righteousness in that. Dad, save me because I've done a good job. No, save me because of our relationship. It's trusting in his father, and that's exactly what David's doing. You might think for a second, well, wait a minute. I thought David already talked about his salvation. What does he need to be saved from this time? Look at verse 95. The wicked lie in wait to destroy me. This verse blows me away because this stanza has a totally different feel than the last few stanzas. But notice, affliction hasn't ended. He's found the rock of God's word to trust in, even though the wicked are setting traps all around him. He's still in danger, but what's he doing? But I consider your testimonies. God, I know your word is fixed, so by it would you fix me? Would you sustain me? Would you secure me? Is God's word enough to do that? Better believe it. Look at verse 96 in this wonderful summary of what God's word does for us. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. David's actually making a contrast here between God's word and the world. He's putting them on the scale and comparing them. and saying, look, in this world, even the best things, the most stable things, the things that seem perfect in every way, they're limited, they're finite. They'll all come to an end one day, but your word, God, your commandment is exceedingly broad. Now that means that God's word is eternal. It's eternal and infinite, but it also means that it is unlimited. It's unhindered by anything else in this creation. There is nothing in this world that God's word through the Spirit's work cannot overcome in his saints. Nothing. God's word is incredibly sufficient. It saves us. It sustains us. It makes sure that we make it home safe and sound looking just like Jesus. That's why 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. To what end? That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God's word is the instrument that God uses to complete us, to sustain us, to make us secure saints. Oh, I know that's so hard for our sinful hearts to believe. You look at this book and you think, this can't be enough. This can't be enough to sustain me. This can't be enough to get me through this challenge. There has to be some secret, some other thing that I need beyond God's word to get me through this. Maybe if Jesus, if Jesus was right here, standing right beside me all the time, I would be able to make it through this. You know what Jesus would be doing if he was standing right next to you 24-7 physically? Let me show you. Turn your Bibles to Luke 24. This is an incredible picture of the sufficiency of God's word and the way that Jesus ministers to his insecure saints. Many of you may recognize this illustration. This is the road to Emmaus story. It's Easter. Jesus rose from the dead. He's been appearing to his disciples, and in this story, he draws near to two of his disciples on the way home, on the road to Emmaus. And these disciples are discouraged. They think Jesus is long gone. They're in disorientation. They're unstable. And look at how Jesus comforts them. Look at what he does, verse 17 in Luke 24. And he, that's Jesus, said to them, his disciples, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them named Cleopas answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said, Jesus said to them, What things? 
And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was, past tense, a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. His disciples thought that just like everything in this world, Jesus was just one more thing that would die off. They had hoped he was the one. He was the one stable thing, the one reliable thing they could put all their hope into. And he's gone. And look at what Jesus says to them. Verse 25. Skip down to 25. And he said, Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And then listen to this. Beginning with Moses. That's the first few books of the Old Testament. And all the prophets, that's the rest of the Old Testament, he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself. Every time I read this, I am just blown away by how Jesus cares for his disciples. They're so discouraged, feeling so unstable and without hope. And Jesus could have done so many things to encourage them, couldn't he? He could have done a miracle. Let's turn this rock into bread. Let's raise people from the dead. He could have said, look, I'm going to give you a new teaching something you're not going to find in that book. He could have even just simply appeared, right? Look, I'm alive. I'm here. Celebrate. Don't be sad. I've risen from the dead. Seems like that would have fixed all their problems. But what does the resurrected Lord of the universe do instead? He has a Bible study. He walks them through scripture, pointing to himself. He does exactly what we're doing right now. You know what Jesus would do if he was next to you physically 24-7? He'd be reading God's word. Because it's sufficient, it's eternal, it's fixed in the heavens for all eternity, and it's come down to us generation after generation as we see God's fingerprints of eternity in all creation. It's enough to save us and enough to sustain us because it points to the fixed word in Jesus. If you want to be a secure saint, then fix your delight on God's fixed word. Let me pray. Father, we desperately need your help to do that. We are so drawn into the delights and the prizes of this world instead of your word. So quickly, Lord, we believe that your word is not enough. Father, remind us of your steadfast, eternal, immovable word. Help us sharpen each other as we help each other see that your word is dependable, it's reliable, and that your son has done everything we need to be right with you. So, Father, we ask that you would sustain us by your word that your spirits would work within us so that we understand your word, that we're inclined to your word, and that we treasure your word just like your son did. We pray this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.